all of a sudden I felt great empathy for the other men that I've been with that have sat with me when person after person would say something to me or we'd be at Hy-Vee or whatever. Or your children who had to go through that perhaps. <laughs> Where you just have to wait until your mom's done talking to everyone in the grocery store. We'd like to remind you that the information contained within this podcast reflects our own personal opinions and should not be held as any kind of official recommendation. That's right. This podcast is for our own purposes. It's educational and and for entertainment. Mm-hmm. Edutainment, if you will. <laughs> We're just a couple of yahoos with master's degrees, and this isn't a professional capacity. So if as you're listening to an episode, you feel that maybe you need help with your own mental health, please do contact your own doctor or a therapist. And finally, we try to stay pretty clean with this podcast, but sometimes we slip up and sometimes we just talk about weird stuff. So <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) it might be not safe for work you'd probably better listen with headphones hello and welcome to freudian sips the podcast about brains beverages and other bs i'm bonnie and i'm anna now you could take a sip. Oh, okay, thank you. I interrupted her from taking a sip. I knew you were going to start, and I thought I could do it fast, but that happens when I try to do fast. Yeah, but that sounds cool. That's like, you it's know. It's fully work for our drink. Yeah, that's good. We don't actually have a drink. I'm the only one drinking. I'm high on life, baby. <laughs> <laughs> we're recording in the evening today, and we don't always do that. We prefer day drinking when we can, but... Yes, because it gives you more time to drink. (laughs) That is true. (laughs) We're in the evening, and I'm having a nightcap. I'm impressed, though, that she's drinking something, so... Well, and before we started recording, you were like, I feel bad that we don't drink on our podcast called Freudian Sips. I know. (laughs) Gotta start getting drinking drunken. (laughs) That's why we we don't drink. That's something when you start at all. <laughs> I can't talk anyway, so if I was drunk, it would Gotta be Gotta get bad. drinking drunken. That's what we say here on Freudian Sips. <laughs> Next time. Next time I'll come up with a good drink for us. Okay. I was trying to find a good drink for us for this theme for tonight, but Seems I like didn't. it would be hard to find a drink yes. themed yeah, yes. appropriately. Yes. What number are we on? 91. <sighs> We're in the 90s. Good old Phineas was 90. That's right. Phineas Gage and his teacup full of brain. You had to bring that back up, didn't you? I did. Just, I did. I just think it's to important that people out. know. <laughs> if you didn't listen to episode 90, it's gross. That's what you have to look forward Go to if you listen didn't. listen to it if you like gross stuff. <laughs> tonight's won't be so gross. I think tonight's is kind of interesting, I actually. I think tonight's is super interesting. So so what are we talking about today? Because I don't have any pre-roll. I don't have any... So we're just going to jump right in. Let's just do it. You know how we love acronyms in psychology. <laughs> the acronym for tonight is D-I-D. Did. Did. <laughs> and what does D-I-D stand for, Mom? Dissociative Identity Disorder. Mm-hmm. Order. Disorder. <laughs> Period. <laughs> Period. The end. 
<laughs> yes. Dissociative identity disorder, otherwise known as multiple personalities, otherwise known as split personalities. There mm-hmm. are so many things that it has been called over the years. But right now, the term is dissociative identity disorder. Right. And we're going to talk about how it got to be named that, how it changed names. But, and this is something that we've all seen movies about it or, you know, heard stories about people who have multiple personalities. And I was reading a couple of reviews on that movie that was not that, is not that old, that split. Split. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really good movie. I, not accurate to multiple personalities. Right, right. And that's what I read was yeah. that it was not a, a good depiction. It's not a good representation of it, but it is a good movie. Right. And the one, the, the movie that I kind of, I mean, I feel like I it was when I was growing up. I don't know when it came out. It seems like a long time ago. The movie Sybil mm-hmm. is kind of the movie that. It was 70s, I think. Well, so I was kind of still growing up. Mm-hmm. But now they're saying. Yeah, the, the case that was the inspiration behind Sybil was found to be probably falsified. Whoops. Yep. In a way, you look at that kind of movie and it was like that movie brought to into light the existence of a disorder where right. people actually had more than one personality. And in a way, it's kind of like when those kind of things happen in the mental health field, it's like, well, it's it's bringing about awareness. The problem becomes if it's falsified or if it's, it's not presented correctly like in right. the other movie. I don't know, maybe it does more harm than good. I did read something about after Sybil coming out that the number of diagnoses of DID like skyrocketed Mm -hmm. just because and and that's the thing that it's hard to know because I mean I'm sure people look at that and say well like those cases aren't you know real cases of DID because you know they were biased by this film just coming out but but that doesn't mean that they're all fake it and it doesn't mean that they're all misdiagnosed it means that like you said more awareness is out right so we're able to see some of those signs and symptoms whereas maybe we wouldn't have seen them before right but dissociative identity disorder just seems fantastical it does like it's like it seems fake right there's this huge controversy on whether or not like people within the psychology community kind of some people don't believe it don't believe that it's an actual diagnosis but but i mean it's obviously an actual diagnosis they don't believe it really exists though in the form that it is stated and if you do research into it you will find that there are people who like you said anna will flat out just say you know it's 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 other things that are masked Mm -hmm. in this way that they they get misdiagnosed SDID. Mm-hmm. But there are other professionals, researchers who fully believe that this is something that happens to people. So mm-hmm. c- c- can we start by just talking about what dissociation is? Yeah. Can we start that way? Yeah. I would like to because we've talked about dissociation in other episodes when we've talked about um, different diagnoses and things. So mm-hmm. so can we just kind of review what dissociation is? Yeah. So, I mean, DID is one of a few dissociative disorders in the DSM. And what dissociation is, is how a person is connected to themselves, to their body, to reality around them. And so dissociation is feeling disconnected from that. Mm-hmm. So feeling like uh, I think a lot of people... And actually, I read some statistic that said up to 75% of people experience at least one depersonalization or derealization episode in their lives. Wow. Which is, those are types of dissociations, right. basically. Right. That's That number sounds right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think a lot of people go through it and don't know that that's what's happening. Right. 
Like, because I've talked to a lot of clients who are like, yeah, I just felt really outside of my body or I felt this, I felt that. And I have to be like, yeah, that's dissociation. You dissociated. Or you talk to a client who says, I really don't remember any very much about things at that time in Mm -hmm. my life. Mm -hmm. Um, That's, you know, kind of another clue that she was having some or he was having some dissociation. I found it interesting that one of my sources was talking about how you can kind of get the feel, even if you're listening, um, sipsters, and you think, I don't even know what that means to dissociate. In everyday life, we have sometimes these moments of dissociation that are just a real mild kind of form of it, like like when you're daydreaming, like you're sitting there and all of a sudden you just kind of space out and for just a few minutes, it's kind of like, oh, you know, you come back or highway hypnosis I was is another that, yeah, one I was when you're driving that. and or I even I've done that so many times where I get in the car to go to work mm-hmm. and I end up at work or sometimes I go to the wrong <laughs> place like oops I was supposed to go to work and I went here and that happened but, when you had two jobs yeah. especially yes it's like <laughs> go to my other I'm work supposed to be oops. somewhere else right now but you just kind of get lost in other things and your brain is kind of on autopilot so if you can think about those kind of times in your own life sipsters that's kind of a sort of a mild case of dissociation mm-hmm. but dissociation usually happens because of of some kind of some trauma kind of significant stress at right, least right and usually a trauma response right and it's a defense that mm-hmm. are yeah it, i think it's it's really interesting that in psychology we talk about some of these things that happen to us like dissociation or some of the other defense mechanisms that seem like a dysfunction basically but if you look at the core of it, it's protection. Yeah, that our brain, brain is protecting itself, which is kind of cool to think that your brain does try to protect yourself. Yeah. So uh, while I was researching for this episode, I was hanging out with a friend of the show, Michelle. Hi, Michelle. But that's what we were talking about. We were talking about how when this happens, you know, that it's our brain just trying to shield us. It's mm-hmm. our brain doing whatever it can, and sometimes it's not a great you know, defense, and sometimes it kind of blows up in other ways, but it really is just the brain going, okay, that's too much for us, so we're just not, we're not going to do that right now. Right. And so if there is something that is like triggering you to just be really overwhelmed by emotion and stuff, and you just kind of feel like shut down, like that's a dissociative thing, and that's your brain going, okay, we can't handle that right now, so we're going to, we're going to step away from it, Mm -hmm. which, yeah, ultimately not good, but your brain's doing its best, man. I know. He's poor trying. brain. That poor meat sack. That poor meat sack is doing what he can. <laughs> do you want me to mention the three types of dissociative disorders? Please do, because I don't know what you're talking about. May I do that? Do so- I do it? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one, Ian. Uh, <laughs> so in the DSM-5, you would find dissociative identity disorder, which is what we're going to go into detail here in just a moment. So you'll know all about that by the end of this episode. Um, there's also dissociative amnesia, which is what it sounds like. You, that, that in your dissociation, you literally forget. Mm-hmm. what's happening at the time so then later you have no memory of that well of whatever happened and, and that happens because when we're dissociated this also happens a lot with depression where your brain just isn't making those memories right like you're, you you you're literally hip- don't remember that time because Is you were zoned out um i don't know there's a lot of memory bits that sounds right but yeah it's that part of your brain shuts down in those moments of for lack of a better term trauma because it could be just serious depression or Mm -hmm. something like that which is trauma unto itself yeah yeah. but that your brain does exactly what anna just said it just kind of stops making memories it's like okay i'm turning off the camera now yeah (laughs) we're going dark everyone i'm turning turning off the video recording now (laughs) 
Um, so that's called dissociative amnesia. And then the third kind is depersonalization and derealization. That's hard for me to say. Yeah. Disorder. Which I do have a hard time differentiating between any of those see things. i it they all are so similar yeah because basically depersonalization is exactly what anna described before where you kind of feel like you're outside of your body and you're not really experiencing what you're experiencing or the derealization is just kind of looking at your environment and not really connecting like i'm really here this is really happening instead your brain is kind of like this is not really really happening we often use the word surreal yeah things are surreal and you look at it and I was thinking when I read that specifically, I was thinking about this is a very, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't mention this, but it's what came to my mind. When my husband died, mm-hmm. there was this time, and even now when I think back on it, when I walked into the room, it was all like, this isn't really happening. Yeah. And I'm sure that, Sipsters, maybe you've experienced something like that, um, where you're going through something hard and you, you just can't wrap your brain around it and you stand you know I stood there in the room for a minute thinking even though I had really prepared my brain for that to happen because he had been sick for a long time it it was just like this can't really be and even when I think back on it now as a memory like calling 911 and all that I don't remember really doing it Mm. I know I did it and it's kind of like when I remember it it's kind of like thinking of a movie that I watched instead of that I actually did that right so that's I think an example of of what that depersonalization and derealization is like Mm -hmm. so i guess i've experienced that myself well i mean if 75 percent of people have i'm not surprised that would be one of mine i guess so those are the three different types that are listed in the dsm-5 so let's let's focus back on just did yes you're going to talk about like when what why did we stop calling it multiple personality or when that happened do you have that information um i think that was changed in the dsm Four. So right now we're on the DSM-5, but the DSM-4 renamed it to Dissociative Identity Disorder. I think before that it was called Multiple Personality Disorder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also when they changed it in the DSM-4, they added amnesia to the criteria for DID. So before mm-hmm. that, it wasn't, which I don't know how it wasn't, because as we talk about it, that's a key thing. Way back in the DSM-2, they called this disorder hysterical neurosis dissociative type (laughs) that's a mouthful isn't that hysterical neurosis now is a good time to mention that women are more predisposed to have this than Uh men i guess did the hysterical flip that switch yeah yeah because traditionally with psychology we kind of tend to be put in that category they're like is this your uterus it might be your uterus are you sure (laughs) could be your uterus we're like, no, I don't think it's my uterus. Is it the ovaries? Like, Is it your like, ovaries? Are you sure? You might, it might be the ovaries. <laughs> they used to not let women on trains because they thought that if women went too fast, like if they got on a train and went like a train speed, that their uterus would detach. <laughs> Where not, did you learn that? On the internet. So it has to oh, be true. Oh, it's got to be true then. They wouldn't let ladies on trains. Yeah. Early trains were thought to make women's uteruses fly out. Because <laughs> women's bodies that were not designed like really hurt to go at fifty miles an hour, <laughs> but men were. Nothing flew out of men's bodies. Yeah. <laughs> but all all the, their stuff is outside, and their junk is just flying around anyway. So it's already <laughs> flopping. <laughs> okay, interesting sidebar, Anna. Thanks for that. <laughs> Today's commentary on sexual <laughs> organs brought to you by Anna. 
<laughs> I don't think I do that a lot, but maybe I do. <laughs> There's often mention of some kind of sexual organs on this podcast. I mean, we're named I after am. after Sigmund Freud, Freud himself, <laughs> the genital boy. He's the genital boy, boy. Who searched through all the eels trying the to eel, find the testicles. The eel ball, man. Yes. <laughs> As we all know, Sigmund Freud, the eel testicle boy. <laughs> Oh, we need to show more respect to him. Do we? Okay, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, tell us about dissociative identity disorder, Anna. I I think I will. So in the DSM-5, as it stands, dissociative identity disorder is qualified as a disruption of identity characterized by two or more distinct personality states, which may be described in some cultures as an experience of possession. The disruption in identity involves marked discontinuity in sense of self and sense of agency, accompanied by related alterations in affect, behavior, consciousness, memory, perception, cognition, and or sensory motor functioning. These signs and symptoms may be observed by others or reported by the individual. So that's all the first qualifier. And it goes on to say that recurrent gaps in recall of everyday events, important personal information, and or traumatic events that are inconsistent with ordinary forgetting. So again, and like, that's hard too, because like, I have worked with people who have undergone severe trauma. And like, one of the things trauma does is affect your memory. Right. This isn't just that. It's not like I like I have that too. I have a really crap memory because of some trauma that I've experienced as a child. So this isn't that. Like it's it's not like I have dissociative identity disorder just because I have forgetting things from my past. Right. This is recurrent gaps. Like the the amnesiac episodes continue happening. Right. But okay, just just to kind of clarify one more time that what you just described is what you described before that when you're in the midst of stress slash trauma your brain does not yeah it doesn't make those memories the way yeah that's that's what it is it's not like the memories aren't sinking in right and so you can you can have that as a result of your stress or trauma and not have this disorder that we're talking about yeah this is a very specific thing very specific (laughs) and very limited number of diagnoses yeah i want to say less than it's like less than one percent significantly i want to say and it goes on to say like okay it has to cause cause clinically significant distress impairment all that stuff it does mention as part of the first thing that it talked about where it could be like seen as an experience of possession it does say like okay this The disturbance is not a normal part of a broadly accepted cultural or religious practice. There are like some religions where you kind of like the speaking in tongues thing and the The slain in the spirit. Yeah, yeah. that kind of stuff. So so that's not this. It says in children, it's not like imaginary playmates or fantasy play. I'm glad they put that in there. I am too. (laughs) Because a lot of kids, you know, take on roles in their play and yeah. yeah. And have friends friends and, and, and invisible and say friends they're and, different people yeah, i mean yeah, like sure. yeah sure like kids do that so so that's not what this is this is having i don't know what to call they call them personality states in the dsm i've heard them called alters like alters alternate personalities mm-hmm. the one that i've seen the most now is personality or personality states like i think that's kind of accepted nomenclature i'll probably still call them alters as i was we talk gonna about say it. i'm used to saying alters so yeah. that, that'll be hard for me I think it's significant that part of the the switch from titling it 
multiple personalities to titling it what it is now is that idea that it's not so much that new personalities are grown as it is that the original personality is split or fractured. Fractured, yeah. Yeah, so it's it's a different kind of way to look at that. Yeah, the way I understand it, like these personalities that appear in those fracture times are like whole cloth. Like, at least from what I've read, it's not like those personalities like grow and change a lot. Right. They're just pretty there. set. They're just there. Yes, yes. Yeah, they're like full personalities. Like right. they kind of just appear yeah, yeah yeah i also want to mention that this is not I, I don't know if we've talked about code switching before on the show i think we have i don't know if we've used that word we might have but i we've talked about the theory of the, yeah. the idea of it but i think this is a really good time to talk about that so code switching is something that everyone does where like i think the best example of it is like you act different at home than you do at work Right. Like you you have a different like work persona than you have a home persona. And you might, you know, act different around one group of friends than you do a different group of friends. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean that you have like alternate personalities or whatever. It just means you're code switching, which just means when you go to a different setting or different group of people or whatever, you act differently to kind of fit in with that group better. Right. That's something that's really normal to do because we're social creatures. So right. So code switching is not what we're talking about either. And code switching is actually a a healthy way Mm -hmm. to be social. Yeah. But it it all goes back to what we often talk about. I need my sound effects thing because we need balance. I don't remember. I don't know. It's okay. Which one? Which one's the The chime was the balance. The dring was balance. We talk about balance a lot on Freudian sips. There it is. (laughs) Sipsters. One of my sound effects is back. <laughs> it's this, really sound affecting right now. Yes, this this is balance. That <laughs> I sh- I'm probably going to be playing with this now for a while. <laughs> that it really is about you don't want to become a fake person. Yeah. You want to be self-aware that, yeah, when I'm with my friends, I, I cuss and, mm. you know, tell dirty jokes. Right. Or I wouldn't do that when I'm with mom and dad, you know, or I wouldn't do that. When I'm with my church friends, I act different than I do with my work friends. When I'm you know? with mom, I drink and, and cuss and we record a podcast, but I wouldn't do that with my friends. Right. <laughs> That's a perfect example. <laughs> so we don't want to lose our authenticity as far as knowing who we really are, because yeah. that, that gets into a whole other issue of dysfunction where you're wearing masks all the time and you don't really know who you are. Right. But... Code switching is is not actual masks. I know we're all wearing masks right now. Oh, I didn't think of that. Yeah. Not physical COVID masks. Right. (laughs) Metaphorical personality masks. Oh, metaphorical (laughs) personality masks. (laughs) (laughs) That, oh, Anna takes a drink. (laughs) Anna takes a drink and rolls her eyes and says, It's hard to put up with my mother. Mom bullies me. Take a drink. Hey, Sipsters, if you want to play a fun drinking game when you listen to our podcast, whenever we bully each other, take a drink. Yeah, because we both do it. You'll get schnuckered. <laughs> but we bully one another in love, mm-hmm. in teasing love. It is in love. Don't we? Yeah. If I ever bully you and really hurt your feelings, you need to tell me. <laughs> oh, I'd cry. I would just straight up start crying. And then I would cry. I know. And then we would both and know. And we'd both be crying. And I would tell you, I'm so sorry. I, I love I you know, very much. I know. You do. <laughs> You don't. No, I feel sad. No, you, <laughs> you shouldn't feel sad. <laughs> All right. Mom feels sad. Take a drink. 
Okay, here. <laughs> have some ballads. Shake that ballads up. That's a terrible noise, the scraping. Don't do that. Okay. Thank you for clarifying that, that if we're, if we just right. have to, Everyone I do, I have bit. had clients come in and say, sometimes I feel like I'm two different people, mm-hmm. you know, and they're very alarmed about mm-hmm. that. And then we talk about how you, you know, have to be aware that that that's okay, right. as long as it's not, you know, throwing you off balance. Yeah. It's like everything else that we talk about in the DSM that says, you know, if it's something that causes you distress in your everyday exactly. life, then it's something you need to deal with. You yeah, know, that so. clinically significant. That's right. Okay. I mean, that's kind of all the DSM says about it. Mm-hmm. So yes, the basics of, I guess it doesn't really talk about why it happened. So let's go into that for a second. Yeah. Because, I mean, DID is a trauma response. So what happens, and from what I read, it's usually something that happens when a person is young. Right. Like, this is a thing that very often happens as a defense mechanism in like developing brains. So when a traumatic event happens, and it is too much for the person to handle, the brain, like you said, will fracture and create a personality that is like a protector personality. Mm -hmm. And that tracks with what people have said about their their alters, like the people who do get treatment for this, that like their prime personality doesn't have like memories of the abuse. Right. Because it would be the alter that was in charge at that time. Right. And, like, different alters have, like, different sets of memories and different, uh, like, like full-on different sets of behaviors and mannerisms. I mean, they're very distinct. Right. And they, and they can vary a great deal. I was, I was looking at something here that just said, I like the way that they worded it. It says, it's typically manifested most often in females, mm-hmm. often in their third decade of life is when it manifests. Third decade of life. Okay. Um, <laughs> That's, like, 20s then, right? Right. Between 20 and 30. Why wouldn't they have just said their 20s? But anyway, they're trying to be all (laughs) hoity-toity, I think. But it says their psychiatric history is likely to show that the onset of dissociative symptoms appeared somewhere between the ages of 5 and 10 and the appearance of alters by the age of 6. But people don't recognize that that's what that is. Well, especially when it's kids. Right. That's hard. And then as the patient ages, the number of alters sometimes and often increases with adult patients reporting up to 16 different separate alters. It says as many as 24 alters have been reported in some adolescents. But that makes sense because when you're an adolescent, you're all fractured anyway. You're trying to figure out who you are anyway. Yeah, that's hard to do the sense of self with an adolescent anyway. Right, right. But, you know, kind of what Anna was talking about, like if you were talking with someone who actually um, had alternate personalities, and let's say that person was sexually abused when they were a little child, mm-hmm. one of their alters would, would likely be a child who had actually undergone and would remember the, the mm-hmm. abuse while the, uh, what's the main person called? I'm having the host. Oh, yes. I think that's what it's called. I just saw the main personality, main like personality. That's what they would call it. Might not remember, you know, might not have active memory of the abuse. And it's not like the child personality will like grow. Like there's like adults with DID who have child personalities. Right, right. And cross genders. And, oh, yeah. I mean. Ages, ages different genders, yeah. different. It's really very fascinating. It's super interesting, yes. But that's again where it's like, it, that's hard to believe. It's hard to believe that that's what's going on. Right, right. Because it is so theatrical, right. so to speak. Yeah. yeah. So the main objective when working with a client who has DID, DID 
the idea. Uh, <laughs> the idea about is what? to to integrate the personalities to yes. to make the personalities come together and be aware of each other. Be aware, and a really important point is to not ignore or negate or vilify any of the alters or to to try to just you know to say to the client we're just gonna put them all away and forget right. them you know right. yeah <laughs> put them back in the closet and pretend like they don't exist just ignore you know? that personality <laughs> because the idea and i i really like this idea that we all have like we've already said we all have different parts of our personality mm-hmm. and in in a person who is somewhat mentally healthy we integrate all those parts and have that balance oh <laughs> But in a person who has dissociated identity, they don't fit together. Right. Yeah, but we want that we want to help them to fit together so right. that we we don't necessarily want them to disappear. They still stay part of that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just that when there's an awareness about the other alters, the person can like share the memories and mm-hmm. and be a whole person. I, I mean, because think how terrible it would be to like not remember big stretches of your life because you know you were an alter at that point and right. i mean the feeling of loss of control that has to come with the amnesia episodes and and just you know knowing that you were out doing things as this alter i mean that's got to be a really terrible experience one of the things that i read was that some researchers were reporting that the way that they felt they could tell the difference between a person who was faking it basically and a Mm -hmm. person who actually had uh, the disorder is that those who actually have the disorder feel shameful about it they feel embarrassed and they don't want other people to know that they've lost control and they when on the other hand those who maybe are doing it for attention or whatever are kind of enjoying that spotlight and they might be more theatrical about it all and right um, that was one of the criteria, one of the symptoms that they looked for was that kind of being ashamed of it. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that it, I, I can't imagine how difficult it must be to have that feeling of loss of control. Right. So they suggest that um, the best kind of therapy is basically talk therapy. Mm-hmm. It sounds kind of weird, but there are steps to that kind of therapy where just like in all therapy, you first want to be sure that everybody is safe and that you have right. a rapport, you build a rapport with um your client and and establish safety and then that you basically work with the parts all of them all of them and and get them to know each other basically and and to deal with each other and And to to understand the function of that personality like why Mm -hmm. that personality came to be right like what was that protecting you from and that's going to be a big part of the treatment is just trauma therapy. Exactly. And processing the traumatic event or events, because usually there are more than one, mm-hmm. that led to the fracturing of the personality in the first place. Right. The longer I'm a counselor, the more I'm aware that like a lot of our caseload is trauma therapy. Everything is trauma. It Everything is. is trauma. It really is. It's kind of, it's overwhelming sometimes but it's also kind of good to know that that's what we all that universality of yeah. you know trauma is trauma everyone goes through crap right exactly we all have stuff so um, one other note that i would just throw in is that medication is not effective for did no. a client may have comorbid diagnoses of like anxiety or depression and so i 
would too. Absolutely. I would also be anxious if I wasn't <laughs> me sometimes. So medication might be enlisted in order to deal with that, with right. the anxiety or the depression, but it's not that we're being medicated to help with our DID. That's, yeah. a, that's a separate issue. Right. I did read that up to 97% of people with, with multiple personality disorder can recover with the proper treatment. That's awesome. That is awesome. That is really awesome. So again, there there is good hope for people, you know, with that diagnosis, even though it's it's kind of very rare. So let's talk about some of the cases because that's really interesting that's, to talk about. Yeah, that let's get into the meat because yeah, these are these are bananas crazy stories. <laughs> at least the ones that I have. I don't know which ones you that's have. That's a professional clinician's <laughs> Banana crazy. I don't know if you have seen the new Matrix trailer. Uh-uh. Uh, there's Neil Patrick Harris is playing a therapist. Oh. Yeah, so Neo, Keanu Reeves' character, is talking to the therapist and saying, I've been having dreams where I don't, I don't think they're really dreams. Does that make me crazy? And Neil Patrick Harris is like, we don't use that word here. <laughs> but Neil Patrick Harris is dressed all in blue and has bright blue glasses on. So I think that's a that's a, a blue pill. Yeah, it's, oh, it's a whole thing. <laughs> wow, I'm going to have to watch this trailer. It's pretty sick. Is sick a good word in this? Is this a... Yes modern term yeah sick. it's like it's super not like sick bro it's not like we old people call sick like <laughs> sick no not like pandemic sick like sick radical okay got it sick nasty all right who do you want to talk about do you have a couple of people that you want to talk about i do have a couple of people yeah let's start with chris sizemore i don't know if you've ever heard of the three faces of eve mm very famous. Very book famous. And movie and, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the book was written by the therapist who worked on Chris's case, and then later it was turned into a movie. And that was so, this was the 50s, I want to say. And it, like Sybil, a, a case where it was really in the public eye and people really were were becoming aware of it because of this piece of media, basically. Right. So Chris uh, grew up in actually a really normal, loving home. She says she remembers the first split that she had was when she was two. Uh, she saw a body being pulled out of a ditch. And mm. she remembers another girl watching it. She was like depersonalizing herself uh. watching it. And from then on, she was displaying the symptoms of DID. But she, she said that like it, people didn't really get it i mean right. they didn't get that that's what was happening uh one of her uncles did think she was possessed though uh-huh. so as you do sometimes you just think mm-hmm. your your kids are possessed <laughs> especially when they're a teenager like toddlers and stuff oh yeah the kids do pace. weird yeah, stuff yeah yeah so <laughs> when she finally sought help was after the birth of her first daughter so chris was 19 uh she had her first daughter taffy like saltwater taffy i think (laughs) is the name of the child is the child okay taffy taffy but one of the personalities eve black threatened to kill the baby oh my and eve white came out to stop her so she wanted to seek help for this because obviously she is like oh crap i might hurt my daughter so she started seeing corbett h think (laughs) pen think pen that's a great name. <laughs> it's a name. Um, I wish Phineas was their first name. Phineas Thigpen. <laughs> Phineas H. Thigpen. 
Uh, Chris herself says that she owes Thigpen a lot, that that him recognizing that it was dissociative identity disorder probably kept her out of an institution, mm. um, so she doesn't feel right, like, suing him, which w- we'll come to later. <laughs> there, There's legality issues here. Okay. So, but as she started working with Thigpen, um, he started using hypnosis, which also can be really tough especially when it comes to like personalities and trauma where we've talked about this so in our episode 16 we talked about hypnosis and how that can be really damaging when memories get fabricated through Uh that process uh there's already stuff that says that people who have did are just higher on like the suggestibility scale anyway so i remember us talking about that during the hypnosis episode that some people just have that kind of brain yeah yeah they're just they take that suggestion easier Mm -hmm. um so it does kind of become this this gray area when hypnosis is being used and especially in cases of like these severe traumatic things that sometimes the lines can get blurred about what's actually what's true and what was fabricated Mm -hmm. um so under hypnosis eve black confided that she was only trying to scare taffy because her crying was annoying her but during this this hypnosis a third personality was developed or was brought about Mm -hmm. i guess this third personality was named jane so these are the three faces of eve it's it's eve white eve black and And Jane. jane Um, Jane being kind of the mediator, ostensibly. But what happened, and this is from Chris herself, Jane was Dr. Thigpen's Pygmalion, is what Jane was. I think with hypnotic suggestion, he created Jane. He was trying to control Eve Black, was all he was trying to do. He would say to Eve Black, this is what a lady is. And when Jane came on the scene, she was everything that Dr. Thigpen said she was. Then, when Jane got married and had to assume the responsibilities of everyday life, she just fell apart. And actually, Chris was Jane when she met her husband, who she is still married. Or I think Chris might actually have died now that I say that. But she stayed married to her husband for the rest of her life. Mm-hmm. So she wasn't married when she had her daughter. Oh, that was from her first marriage. Oh, okay, okay. But the message that everyone outside the family was getting was that Jane was fine and integrated. And that is not what was happening. Do they call her Jane or they call her Chris? Because um, she was... They called her Jane in the movie, I think. Oh, okay. Honestly, not sure. I've never seen the movie. Didn't look at the book, whatever. But she was not integrated. She was not fine. She actually had more personalities keep coming forward over the course of eight therapists. Oh, wow. And this is interesting. Usually the alters would come in groups of three. Huh. Yeah. Until This was until she had over 22 alters or somewhere around 22. Wow. And this was over the course of 20 years. So the alters had variable levels of awareness of the other personality states. It said, like, some knew each other and just kind of watched from within. Others thought they were alone. Hmm. One couldn't see. One couldn't talk. One wore purple. One craved banana splits. <laughs> Another, like, <laughs> strawberries. Yeah, and, okay. and in the article I was reading, like, Chris's kid is talking about it and was basically saying like i liked the purple lady best she was the nicest like yeah like they called so they called one like the purple lady they called one like the strawberry lady that was just how they identified them it was just really interesting um but they thought they were different ages they thought they were different weights uh some liked her husband and some didn't (laughs) oh that could be a problem (laughs) could be and this is sad that the two of them grew 
so like upset about their situation that they tried to kill they tried to kill themselves which, yeah. yeah and that was sad like like chris even described it she's like they just thought there was no hope of getting better mm. like that's what led them to that but in 1970 chris entered four years of treatment with dr tony Sitos. this was her eighth therapist and this is the one where she finally was able to integrate. It did take four years, but hey, better than 20 years where you keep getting more personalities, right. thanks That's everyone right. else. And she says they don't serve as much purpose as they used to. They give in to the primary personalities. They become part of the main personality. This is a process. It's not necessarily Eureka. I felt strange. I felt disoriented. You know, when it happens, mine was very profound. I saw all of them that had ever happened to me in my lifetime, and they all went away again she says wow but yeah i mean she she describes it as like being a new person this mm -hmm. like new whole person after she was integrated wow it's so hard for me to empathize with that you know to yeah. really that's... And, and that's and that's the thing that like it's just so it's it's not something you could you can like put your mind around i right, guess right it just again it sounds very fantastical yes exactly but she is now in a legal battle, or, or there was a legal battle going on again. I think she might have died. But there was a five-page contract that she signed. Like, Dr. Th Thigpen sold the rights to 20th Century Fox. Oh. And that's who she is suing. Th that's who, like, Chris was, decided to sue. Yeah, yeah. For making the movie The Three Faces of Eve. On the contract, typed below the name, was Eve Black, Eve White, and Jane. That was what was typed on the contract. Hey, none of those are her name. So she points at that and says, like, that means that Thig Pen and 20th Century Fox knew I was not well. Because oh. she didn't even sign it, Eve Black, Eve White, and Jane. She signed it Christine C. Sizemore and Mrs. Donald G. Sizemore, which is what Eve Black and Eve White would call, call themselves. themselves like refer to themselves oh. and and she says the person who signed the contract was not even her it was another personality named evelyn lancaster so it was someone else entirely wow that's confusing yeah so now she's suing for i guess um use of her person i suppose but she feels like like she, she even said like she felt like it wasn't like her life i mean right that her whole life had been signed away wow that's a good story. So that's the three faces of Eve. That's Chris Sizemore. Who do you have? Um, well, I have just a, a real short note first that probably the first well-documented case of DID before it was ever called anything like that was studied by a person that I will never pronounce his name correctly. <laughs> Eberhardt was his first name. Eberhardt Mellon. It's G M. <laughs> E L I N. Gamelin. Gamelin. I guess the G is Got to really hit, I don't the, know. hit the good. But it was way back in 1791. Isn't that amazing? 1791. The case involved a 20 year old woman living in Stuttgart, Germany. She was divided into two personalities the French woman and the German woman. Hmm. And the French woman spoke perfect French and behaved like a French aristocrat. And she did know about the German woman. Okay. She knew about her. But the German woman, when she would take over, had no idea that the French woman existed at all. And she spoke German with a French accent. <laughs> Where was she from? From Germany. She was from Germany. Germany. 
but she spoke German with a French accent? Weird. Isn't that weird? I just thought I'd throw that in because, you know, it's been around probably as long as people yeah. have been alive, but that was probably one of the first cases that they investigated this idea that someone had more than one personality, so to speak, way back in 1791. Wow. So the other one that I wanted to talk about was is a pretty famous dude, Herschel Walker. Have you ever heard of him? He's an NFL running back. Then no, I've not. No, I was gonna say I know that <laughs> I we're with so my, into sports. My large sport knowledge, <laughs> my um, wealth of sports. And I have knowledge. to be honest, I don't have much of sports knowledge either, except that you know I kind of like the Packers and and that kind of stuff. Cardinal baseball, Packer football. That's about the extent of my. But I I recognize this name, uh, Herschel Walker. Actually. He's a very pretty famous athlete. He not only played football, he played football uh, for Georgia for a long time, but he played professional football in the NFL for several teams, most notably the Dallas Cowboys, like starting his career and then ending his career as an NFL player. He played for the Dallas Cowboys. But he has been diagnosed with DID now. He wrote a book about his struggle managing his personalities. The book is called Breaking Free. Um, but he's a kind of a complicated case. He won the uh, Heisman Trophy, which for those of us who are so into sports, <laughs> you see, you know what it looks like. <laughs> Anna just made the little action. That it looks doing. like you dab. It like, looks like yeah, you're dabbing. It's, it's like Heisman dabbing. <laughs> Heisman um, dabbing. <laughs> um, but it's a, it would be a really big deal to get the Heisman Trophy. And he doesn't remember receiving it because one of his alters was in charge at that time. Oh, bummer. So, um, aw. <laughs> the, way, the way that Walker describes it is that when he was a child, he was very overweight and he had a speech impediment and he was bullied a lot. And so he thinks that he developed DID to cope with that bullying. He calls one of his own alters, he calls the warrior. Hmm. And that's the person who kind of takes over or took over when he would be doing something athletically, especially football. He had another altar that he called the hero, and that was the one who, whenever he would like talk to the press, he had a very public face that yeah. he would use. He called that the hero. And he says that nobody really knew about it because he handled it so well. Now, as I was reading it, I was thinking, isn't this just kind of like the, the, what did you call it? The code switching thing. Because yeah. like while he was on the football field, he had to be this really tough guy who would kick everybody's butt, you know, right. not care about hurting people. And I think people. everyone has kind of a public face, right. especially people right. who have when to get up to do interviews. And, stuff, sure. and so reading the story, I fall into that like kind of judgy place where it's like, right. eh, is this really DID or is he just, but he has dealt with a great deal of depression um, when he retired from football, he he reports that his different personalities really became jumbled and he kind of mm-hmm. didn't know what was up and what was down. He fell into a deep depression to the point where he was playing Russian roulette and kind of hoping that he would oh, be able to kill so himself. Sad. His wife uh, left him during one of his episodes when he pointed a gun at her head and she said that she had had enough and she Mm. was done. But actually Walker, when he talks about it now, when he talks about his book and his DID, he kind of talks about it like a positive coping skill. Mm -hmm. Like he had to be the warrior to be a good football player. He had to be the hero to be. So he even refers to it like. in terms of adaptability. Right, right. So this is the part that I thought, Anna, you would find interesting that now, literally now, today, these days, 
today. He, he has decided he moved from Texas to Georgia, uh-huh. and he's going to run for. He believes the news is reporting that he's going to run for Senate. Is he? Has he gone through therapy? Is he integrated? Is he, he the way he says it is that he still uses those personalities, but they're healthy. So okay. we would probably so that refer seems to like that. Integration, Another yes. word they use in DID treatment is fusion. Oh, um, instead of integrated, they they say uh, a person has achieved final fusion. Final fusion. That's a band like, name. If I know. I, ever heard I know. One. So this is the part that I just wanted to say out loud to see your reaction to. There are like two sides, of course, worried about him being in this in the Senate. And one group, uh, his opponents are saying, you know, he has DID and he's had all this mental health stuff and he's he's, you know, um, volatile, so to speak. And we can't have somebody like that in office. Oh, God forbid we have someone volatile in office. Oh, Never happened before. You're going to love this next part. Oh, no. Guess who's backing him? Who? Donald Trump. Uh-huh. Is is like doing speeches to get him into office and stuff. Uh-huh. He's, he's backing him all the way, all the way. Okay. So he's um he's he's a conservative Republican, so mm-hmm. to speak. That's kind of the what he's running as. I don't know. That's judgy in itself to even say that about somebody. But while there's part of me that's like, oh, you know, it's kind of good that that he's overcome this mental illness, so to speak, to the point where he's um, has integration and he's able to handle something like being in office. And then I, I knew that you'd be excited that he's being backed by Donald Trump. So I had to throw that in. The there most volatile that. person in the world, <laughs> because he wants to prove that volatility can be in power. I, I think he's already proven that. So Herschel Walker's book is called Breaking Free. In case you're interested in it, Sipsters. Yeah, it's really cool. Most of these people that I that I researched that I read about have have books. Yeah. Either that they wrote or that someone wrote about them. Like you said, The Three Faces of Eve is a very famous book. Right. Okay. Um, I have one more. Okay, good. Kim Noble, the woman with a hundred personalities. Yes, a hundred. Mm-hmm. So. Actually, the dominant personality within Kim is called Patricia. And it's interesting because, like, the article that I was reading, like, the reporter even said, like, I I didn't know what to call her. <laughs> yeah. And, and, so, and so she said, like, I'm Patricia. And she doesn't like being called Kim, but she's gotten used to it because she's Kim. But that was her given name. Yes. But Patricia is the main alter, the, the host, I think you called it. So, mm-hmm. so yes, that is Patricia. But I'm gonna I'm gonna say Kim. Kim was born in the 1960s. Her parents were factory workers in a very unhappy marriage, and the abuse that Kim went through started very early and was very extreme. The way her little brain handled that was by breaking into fragments. But they kind of described them as clean breaks, where hmm. the main personalities didn't really have a memory of the abuse. That so that's kind of what we were talking about before. Mm-hmm. So obviously childhood was tough. She had really erratic behavior. Uh, her memory lapses were noticed by the people around her, but not understood what was going on. And it only got worse in adolescence. She had a really, really troubled adolescence. Mm. It wasn't until her late 20s that she kind of got it together because a productive personality was able to keep a job. Uh, so oh. her productive personality was named Haley, I think. And Haley was able to keep a job and kind of keep things running. She had a job as a van driver until another personality popped up in the middle and was very surprised to find herself driving a van. 
That's she, not good. She was. At yeah, least it wasn't was an airplane, not, but yeah. I suppose it could have been worse. But she plowed into five parked cars. Oh my gosh. Um, luckily, just parked cars, and I don't think anyone was hurt. But she she did get help from that. She had a diagnosis of schizophrenia at mm. first, which I would probably say is very common for that mm-hmm. to be mis misdiagnosed as schizophrenia because of the hallucination idea and right. delusions and yeah. And we were talking about this before we started. I couldn't find research on it or whatever, but mm-hmm. I, I think a few things could probably be seen as this or seen the other way, where like like bipolar depression can probably be because you kind of act really different when you're manic versus when you're in a depressive state so it it does borderline personality yeah yeah yeah. there's a lot that it could be and i think that's one of the reasons that amnesia was added because that is so unique right to did right people with bipolar depression remember their manic states and they remember as much as you can their depressive states even though depressive states are when the memory goes a little wonky too but it's not like they go into a fugue and do those things right so yeah she had a diagnosis of schizophrenia so this was late what the late 80s i guess she didn't get the help she needed because the diagnosis was wrong and she just kind of like got into some really crazy stuff uh there was she she was exposed to a pedophile ring and then she was threatening to like expose the pedophile ring so she got attacked by acid her house got burned down by arson she talks about how she like came to as patricia watching her house burn down oh my lord and how it had been one of the other altars i think it might have been Haley, but i don't know another altar who was the one that was involved with all of that and like was threatening to expose the pedophile ring so patricia had no idea what the hell was going on oh my god she's just like hi why is my house burning down so finally after all of that in 1995 she was finally diagnosed with did The therapist had to work with her, had to bring out the separate personalities and treat them individually, trying to help each come to terms with what happened in their past. And that's really interesting. And and, um, I think that's the basis of it is you just have to treat the the trauma. trauma work. Yeah. Yeah. And so if the way you do that is, okay, this personality has these traumatic memories. Okay. We deal with those when this personality is here. Mm -hmm. So that is how the therapist was able to treat that. She does not fully want to integrate, though. I think part of it is because she just has so many. I don't even know how you could name a hundred different personalities. I mean, I don't even know how you would identify that many different personalities. That's amazing. Yeah. And she talks about how she has like three to four switches per day. Oh, my gosh. And that's, gosh, that's exhausting. So does she like keep a job? She has a kid. Oh, my Lord. Think about that. See, Anna, aren't you glad that I'm your mom? (laughs) Anna, it could have been worse. It could have it been could always four be different worse. people. I could have a hundred personalities that you would have to deal with. You only have to deal with my one big one. <laughs> but I mean, your one big one is a good. I way do to have put one it. big personality. Big personality. <laughs> um, big fat personality. Stop it. <laughs> but Kim Patricia really talks about how daily life is really hard because she'll just kind of come back and have no idea what was happening while the other altar was in charge and just kind of have to go with the flow, I guess. You kind of have to get used to being like, okay, this, this is what we're doing now. That is a frightening thought, though, of raising a child that Absolutely. way. I mean, she has, like, help and supervision. Like, okay, she has good. people who are good. helping her. But, yeah, I mean, that's 
That's, that would be very stressful. It's stressful mm-hmm. enough just having the one personality and trying mm-hmm. to do things. Mm-hmm. She's an artist, though. That's that's her like primary job is an artist. Uh, she started art therapy in 2004. And she kind of talked, this is interesting, she kind of talks about how she integrates that way. Mm-hmm. How like the different alters... So first of all, the different alters have like all different like styles, all different like the way they express themselves through the art. They all look different. I think that's really cool. I think that's very cool too. Yeah. But she talked about how one of them, Rhea, I think she called her, like when she came out to do the art and she was doing like really like violent, terrible stuff that was her trauma experience. Mm. But Kim talks about how like when she came back to, she had to like put those pictures away because her daughter was like still growing up Mm. and she like didn't want her to see. But she's like, that's kind of as close as I will come to integration is to like see from their perspective Uh. and like gather information that way. So that's interesting, but terrifying. It is. It makes me sad I mean, I I know it's their choice to not want to integrate, Mm -hmm. but it makes me sad, too, to be a fractured person, you know? Because, I mean, one of the main goals of therapy is to be your authentic self and to be balanced and be self-aware. That would be hard to do with multiple personalities. It's hard enough to do with one. Exactly. Wow. Okay. But one little side note, just to end Kim Noble's story, is Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Valerie Sinason, the psychotherapist who initially treated Kim, described her DID as a brilliantly creative survival device. And that's that's what what we were talking about. Yeah. It's the brain doing something that seems very off the wall, but... But it's protection. Mm -hmm. And she has a book, too. She does. I don't know what it's called, though. It's called All of Me. Oh, yes. And she has... I would like to see her art, actually. I think that would be very interesting, yeah. Um, that, that reminds me, too, that in the sections where I was researching what kind of therapy, and they were talking about talk therapy being so important, they also mentioned art therapy, mm-hmm. that that's a really good way to let alters express themselves through art therapy. That's really cool. That is cool. Okay, what didn't we talk about? I think that's all I've got... Mm-hmm. I think that's all I've got, too. I think it's one of the more difficult diagnoses to really kind of accept and understand. Yeah. And yet very interesting what our brains can do and will do mm-hmm. in order to survive. Yeah, I feel like we didn't really talk about very in-depth what it is. I feel like for me, that's because I don't fully understand in depth what it is. I don't know that anybody does. And I think that's the problem is that yeah. we're still very much in the we don't quite understand what this is. Right. And and as we referenced already, that not only do we not have a lot of understanding about it, but there's a lot of conflict within the research circles about what exactly it is and who can be diagnosed with it and mm-hmm. whether or not it even exists as as such. So, right. so there's still a lot of confusion about it. I would think that the, I mm, always try to think of something to say at the end that's like, this is what I want you to remember. (laughs) It's very Like summarizing the lesson plan. Sure. I think it's significant to remember that, I mean, what we're talking about today is a very unique situation, but to go back to the idea that we all, we have different parts of our personality and that that doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you or that, you know, you have 
a mental illness, so to speak, if you think to yourself, well, I'm very different with these people than I am with that, right. those people. And especially if, if you're a younger person. Yeah, because then um, you just don't, you're, you're, you're still, still figuring it out. finding it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But we do our own kind of integration as we age and mature. We take those parts that we like and that fit and that work, and we put them together to make the person that we eventually are as a whole. Mm-hmm. That's part of what we do. We all sort of do that integration thing, just not quite as dramatic. Exactly. Exactly. So take some time today to appreciate the different parts of your personality. And I would say like, if you have had an, an associative experience, don't panic because it is quite common. Right. That doesn't mean something's wrong with you. It just means that was a thing that your brain found a little bit too much to mm-hmm. cope with. Mm-hmm. And the other side of that would be if you feel that you are having, I can't remember what word you used, Anna, but regular bouts of forgetting, mm-hmm, regular mm-hmm. bouts of amnesia, so to speak. Right. Um, yeah, if you're like missing time. You, that's really something you need to talk to somebody about. Yeah. Don't ignore that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it might not be DID, but maybe you're getting abducted by aliens. Hey, yeah. <laughs> you it might, might, be, you might be aliens. <laughs> So don't panic if you're having amnesia. It's probably you not the idea. Yeah, you might, might not have aliens. aliens. You might be being abducted, and that's not you know no, no not unusual. Who cares? <laughs> that's a whole different episode right there. We should. <laughs> All right, I'm going to thank the listeners. Fine. See if I care. I will. <laughs> right now sipsters thank you so much for sharing your time with us we so appreciate you tuning us in is that something you do with a podcast tune it in i hope you don't tune us out that like goes back to radio days we appreciate you listening tune in to our next episode so thank you for being with us and we will talk to you again very soon yes thank you so much you can find more of us on twitter instagram facebook we are freudian sips pod on everything our site is freudian our email is freudian at gmail.com if you would like to send us an email we are on <laughs> patreon if you want to support the show we're freudian sips pod on there please remember to leave us a nice rating and review if you can do that wherever you're listening <laughs> Anna's dabbing as she speaks. She I was, is multi-talented. Were you Heisman trophy? I was Heisman dabbing. What'd you call it? <laughs> What's my next thing that I say? Oh, our theme music is Reader Vermouth by Kevin McLeod. It sounds like, like this. That.